Welcome to the 10th MISO Experience Session. We hope that you are enjoying the session so far, and today will be no exception, as we bring you a session from MISO Experience Partner, ORMCO. I'm Dr. Lauren Vitkus, MISO Experience Planning Committee member, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to Tom Barron, who will present today Contemporary PSL Treatment, Facility with Three-Dimensional Control. Dr. Barron received his Doctor of Dental medicine degree at Tufts University and his specialty certificate in orthodontics and master of science in oral biology from the University of Maryland School of Dental Medicine. He has been in private specialty practice of orthodontics for 30 years and is a member of the Dean's faculty in the Department of Orthodontics at the University of Maryland. He is a member of the Ormco Speakers Bureau and has lectured internationally on passive self-ligation treatment. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Tom Barron. Thank you very much, Lauren. It's my pleasure to be here too. Um, as the, my CV indicates, I uh, grew up in, in Massachusetts and went to school at Tufts. So I've got a lot of friends at NISO. So welcome uh, and thanks for, for joining us. So I'm gonna share my screen and I'd like to begin my presentation uh, with, with y'all. So today we'd like to talk about contemporary passive self-ligation treatment or PSL treatment. And um, for the first time we have passivity with three-dimensional control and i'm very excited to, to speak about this today uh, by way of disclosures i am a member of the original damon champion group i'm an ormco key opinion leader and I'm, I'm a member of the ormco speakers bureau so today's presentation is basically going to be four parts um, the first question is why psl and for those of us that use psl it may be a rhetorical question for maybe some neophytes or people that are considering using it, it, I think it's an important question to answer. So we'll briefly talk about that. I wanna talk about the traditional PSL control challenges, uh, the new innovations with regard to the PSL wire and, and brackets, um, why they're significant, what they accomplish. And then we'll actually look at some case reports. We'll put theory to the test and we'll see how, uh, how significant it is clinically. So the first question, why PSL? Well, for me, it goes back to when I saw Dr. Damon speak all those years ago, you know, 17, 18 years ago. And for those of you that weren't around then or didn't get to see those cases, this was an example of the type of case that was shown. You know, super crowded case. If we zoom in on the case, you can see uh, upper blocked out canine, bilateral posterior crossbites. And Dr. Damon treated these cases without extraction, without uh, palatal expansion. And it just was, it was something I'd never seen before. It intrigued me. I was a little skeptical at first, um, but I did see a two day course. I saw lots of cases. And so I decided I wanted to try the, the technique, but the cases turned out beautifully. Again, uh, non-invasive treatment, you know, I think really great broad wide smiles. And the other thing that impressed me was the way that the cases were analyzed. So in this particular case, uh, measurements were made from the distal of the first molars to the facial surface of the central incisors, uh, pre-treatment and post-treatment. And you can see it's about the same. So what I knew about orthodontics before this was that, you know, when you engage really crowded teeth like that and you tried to do non-extraction, the incisors would tip forward. And, you know, the case was treated without any substantial tipping forward of the incisors. So then the, the question is, where did the, where did the crowding go? You know, Pre-treatment on the left, post-treatment on the right. This is the case, the case where the first bicuspids were widened by 12 millimeters. The second bicuspids were widened by 11 millimeters. 
and the first mowers by nine millimeters. Um, and again, without palatal expansion. So the crowding also obviously went into the transverse dimension somehow. So the cases were further analyzed by taking a arch wire and adapting it to the initial and final arch forms. And when you superimpose the two, you could see the, the, the market difference in the arch forms pre and post treatment. But then when the wires are straightened out, you can see that we picked up almost 13 millimeters of arch length um, by increasing the perimeter of the arch. So that's where the crowding went. And this was something that I'd, I'd never saw before you know, in the first 10 or 15 years that I'd practiced orthodontics. Um, and it was something I wanted to learn about. So I could not do this type of treatment before without splitting the mid-palatal suture and uh, without extracting teeth. And if you recall, this case was a 16-year-old, five-month, 16-year, five-month-old patient. Um, so the splitting of the suture probably would have involved a surgically assisted expansion in this case. So this is what intrigued me about PSL and those of us that have used it, I'm sure this is what intrigued you. So this is the answer of why PSL, I, could, I couldn't do this before with the, the techniques that I was, was using. All right, so the, it's the passive self-ligating appliance and low modulus of elasticity wires and the proper protocols. You know, if you put all those three together, that's how you get those types of outcomes. And it all equals low force. So passivity is necessary for this low force. Passivity reduces frictional resistance to sliding. And there have been studies that have shown that from the AJO comparing uh, conventionally elastomeric ligated brackets to uh, passive self-ligating brackets. And you can see the frictional resistance to sliding is negligible in the passive self-ligating brackets. It also done studies comparing uh, self-ligating brackets um, in wet and dry states. And the three brackets on the left were active clips. Uh, the one on the right is passive self-ligation. And you can see that the frictional resistance to sliding is much less in passive self-ligation. So passivity optimizes the, also optimizes the properties of super elastic tie wires. So there was a study done in the European Journal of Orthodontics in 2007 and the title was The Effect of Ligation on the Low Deflection Characteristics of Nickel Titanium Wire. And what they did was they compared uh, frictional resistance to slide, or they compared, I'm sorry, the, the modulus of elasticity of the wires, the properties of the wires in three types of brackets, an elastomerically ligated bracket, a stainless steel ligated bracket, and a passive self-ligating bracket. And what they concluded was that tie wire exhibit the, exhibited the majority of its true super elasticity with the self-ligating brackets. So passivity is the key for the delivery of low force, which is the key to the type of outcomes we see with, with this technique. And in a word, passivity is our friend. However, passivity presents three-dimensional control challenges. And those of you that have used the system or have heard anecdotally about the system, it was hard to control rotations and torque and sometimes uh, vertical positions of teeth. In fact, Cousy, who's done a lot of, who had done a lot of research on frictional resistance to sliding, um, the 100-year anniversary of the AJO did an editorial called Orthodontic Biomechanics, Vistas from the Top of a New Century. And in that, he said, self-ligating brackets retain their biomechanical advantages over conventional brackets. It'll be particularly important once the torque issues are worked out with these brackets. 
And I think by torque issues, he meant, you know, lack of three-dimensional control. So the control issues with PSL, and this is all passive self-ligating brackets. It's, it's inherent in, in all of them. You had rotational control issues, you had torque control issues, and you had vertical control issues. Regarding rotational control, traditional um, PSL brackets, and this is with a prototypical, you know, 14 by 25 dimension wire in there, there was dimensional play between the wire and the bracket slot. And it caused this rotational freedom of, of, of rotation. Uh, there was in the mesial distal dimension, there was almost a four degree rotational freedom. So it was hard to get teeth that were rotated to derotate sometimes with passive self-ligation. And when you put elastomeric chain on there, sometimes the rotations that were previously corrected would reoccur. So it was an issue for, for those of us using the system. Now there were workarounds or some compensating behaviors that we did to overcome this. If a tooth was rotated, say mesial in, then we learned to bond the bracket into the rotation to help pull it out uh, and so forth. But there were things that we had to do to compensate for this. There are also torque control issues. So with a traditional PSL bracket and a 19 by 25 wire, which is in an 022 slot, which was considered full dimension wire, a, a, a rotation of torque uh, or, or slop in the system that caused lack of control for, of torque. There were, uh, in fact, almost 13 degrees of play in the system. Uh, so that's a, a very significant lack of torque control. So I was really discouraged when I'd been using the system for many years. And I thought that in the 19 by 25 wire, I was controlling torque. I wasn't. I wasn't much better than a round wire orthodontist um, with, with the slop that was in the system. There were also vertical control issues. So these arose because due to the structural requirements of the door of the, of the passive self-ligating bracket, a lot of the superstructure was dedicated in the tie wing area and the door area. So because of these structural requirements, when torques were placed into the brackets, the torque was placed into the stem of the bracket. And when you took high torque brackets, neutral torque and low torque brackets together, and suppose they're on adjacent teeth, three adjacent teeth, you'd notice that the, there's no level slot in alignment. It's not possible. And this is really inherent in all passive self-ligation. And for those of you that don't use the system, we do have variable torques, high, low, and neutral. And we'll select, say, uh, for example, high torques. If a tooth is retroclined, you tend to pick a high torque bracket to help uh, bring it into position. If the tooth is proclined, you'd pick a low torque bracket to help it into position. Or if you're using mechanics, interarch mechanics, like class two mechanics, where you tend to detorque the upper incisors, you'd put high torques on the upper incisors. And the same class two mechanics would tend to flare the lower incisors. So you'd pick low torque brackets for the lower incisors in those cases. So in the event that you had torques um, on adjacent teeth, different torques, you wouldn't have level slot alignment. So the clinical consequences are as follows. For an example, suppose on the tooth on the left of the screen, we had a low torque bracket. The tooth on the right of the screen was also a low torque bracket. And we wanted to put a high torque bracket on the tooth in between. 
So we place the bracket and our eye would tell us that the bracket's placed properly. And when we engage the wire, lo and behold, the tooth would intrude slightly. So again, the, 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 we always often heard, I have a hard time controlling you know, teeth posi tooth positions with, with self-ligation. And a lot of people decided to stop using it uh, at, at some point. Conversely, um, if we had a high torque on the left and right, and we wanted to put a low torque in the middle, our eye would tell us, okay, the brackets are lined up, they're, they're, they're on the teeth properly. We'd engage that wire, and lo and behold, the tooth in the middle would extrude. So we had second order or vertical control issues when we tried to mix and match torques on adjacent teeth. So this was all problematic. So the, there was a cost benefit, I guess, that we all had to run for ourselves using this. You know, there were some um, issues in, with control. There was compensating behaviors like repositioning brackets and bonding into rotations and bending wires and things that we had to do to compensate for the lack of control. But for me, the pluses vastly outweighed the minuses. I mean, there were, I just could not do this type of treatment, non-extraction, non-paddle expansion um, with the other system that I was using. So it was worth it for me that cost-benefit analysis might not have been the same for other practitioners, but it was certainly worth it for me. So I persevered and I learned how to work the system. So there, were, there have been PSL wire and bracket innovations that have come along recently that have sort of fixed these problems. Um, torque control is, is very, very good. Rotational control is very good. And second order control is also very good. So let's look first at the wire innovations. The traditional rectangular wire was an 025 depth dimension. So the new wire, the cross-sectional geometry of the wire has been changed. In fact, you can say it's a half round, half rectangular wire. And it's an 0275 dimension uh, in the round dimension of the wire. So it's a completely differently shaped wire. And in fact, we get our torque controls we're gonna see in a minute on the round part of the wire. We, I'm sorry, we get our rotational control on the round part of the wire, and we get our torque control on the rectangular dimension. So let's look at this uh, animation. On the left is a traditional PSL bracket with a traditional 14 by 025 wire. On the right is the newer bracket that we'll talk about with the 14 by 0275 hybrid wire, the half round, half rectangular wire. You can see the freedom of rotation that's inherent on the traditional side on the left. Again, it's up to almost four degrees of rotational freedom. Where the hybrid wire on the right, it's locked in pretty tightly. And in fact, it's been engineered to uh, a maximum of one degree of freedom of rotation. And that half round, half rectangular wire with the 0275 dimension, in any orientation, it touches the door of the bracket and the base of the slot. Let's look at torque control. So again, on the left, we have a traditional PSL with an 18 by 25 wire. And on the right is the hybrid half round, half rectangular 18 by 0275 wire in the new shape slot. So you can see as the animation uh, progresses that 12 to 13 degrees of play in the system, uh, traditional system on the left 
and it's locked in pretty good on the right with very little play. So you've got really exquisite torque control. So it begs the question, is PSL no longer passive? You know, if you've got this full expression and you're engaging the, the door in the base of the slot, um, and then you're also engaging the uh, gingival and um, incisal walls of the slot, is it no longer passive? Number one, the round wire protocols have been unchanged. So your initial 013 copper nine tie, your 014 copper nine tie, and your 18 copper nine tie are all the same. And you'll go through the wires, uh, the progression as indicated um, by the, the demands of the, the case and the patient. And you get your leveling aligning and a lot of your arch form in those initial round wires. So certainly no, um, no um, still very passive at, at that stage. Furthermore, when you get to the um, 14 by 0275, you'll notice there is contact with the door and the base wall of the slot, but it's a pinpoint contact along the radius of the round side of the wire. So it's an extremely small surface area in contact with the base and the slot. So it still is very passive. And again, on the rectangular side of the wire where we get our torque control, again, it's a pinpoint contact along that rectangular side, which is a very extremely small surface area in contact with the slot walls. So those are the wires. Let's look at brackets. What, what are the bracket innovations with this system? Well, again, traditional PSL, because the torque was placed in the stem, when you had high neutral and low torques together, you, you could not get level slot alignment. So the solution to the problem was to change the geometry of the slot. So it's no longer a rectangular slot, it's a parallelogram slot geometry. So you can see left of the screen is the high torque bracket, and on the right of the screen is the low torque bracket with the parallelogram shaped slots. Furthermore, you can see that when you have a high torque on the left, neutral torque in the middle, and low torque on the right, you have level slot alignment. Center point of the slot lines up on those, on those teeth. So I think that was a huge innovation just to change the geometry of the, of the bracket slot. So compare traditional PSL high torque, I'm sorry, low torque on the left, and a parallelogram slot, low torque on the right. Again, traditional, the torque is in the stem in the parallelogram slot bracket, the torque is in the slot. You'll also notice that on the traditional bracket on the left, because the torque is in the stem in this, this bracket, the tie wing space in the, in this case, it's an upper incisor, we'll say, the tie wing and the, the gingival tie wing, there's not a lot of tie wing space. So another sort of uh, complaint about passive self-ligation was that you didn't have a lot of tie wing space if you wanted to do uh, stainless steel ligatures, uh, figure eight steels, and then maybe if you had to ligate, elastomeric ligation on top of that, there wasn't a lot of tie wing space and it was a problem. But you'll notice on the right with the parallelogram slot, you've got ample tie wing space. So it kind of solved that problem as well. Here we have a, say an upper incisor high torque uh, traditional bracket on the left with the torque in the stem. And on the right is a high torque with the torque in the slot. And again, if this is an upper incisor high torque bracket, you'll notice that this time on the traditional bracket, it's the incisal tie wing space that has been reduced a lot. And again, with the new design parallelogram slot, you've got ample tie wing space there. So 
So these innovations for the first time um, with PSL, we have passivity with three-dimensional control. Now, I know it all sounds good in theory and it looks good on paper, but our next uh, sequence of slides will be some, some clinical cases where we can actually see how it works. And now we'll look at some case studies. Now, the case studies I'm going to show are from a clinical trial that was done on uh, this bracket and wire technology. There were 10 uh, orthodontists, um, 10 different sites were chosen, all Damon practitioners, uh, a maximum of 50 cases each. And we did start to finish on these cases, and we uh, have compiled you know, quite a, a, a database uh, from these cases. So the clinical trial period, we saw the patients, uh, or the protocol, we saw patients every four weeks for assessments. Now that didn't mean we were changing wires or necessarily doing anything in four weeks, but it was an assessment period. We wanted to see how much activation was left in the wire, how much rotation was left in the teeth. So we, we decided four week intervals were a good time to look. And at each of those appointments, each of those four week intervals, we took photos and digital intraoral scans at the beginning of the treatment, and then when we changed the wire to the new wire, if we did, at the end of the treatment, we took those. There was also, at the beginning of each case, we took a, a pre-operative uh, CBCT. And then when the case finished at the end, post-operative CBCTs were taken. So that's the clinical protocol. The case presentation format that we'll use to look at these cases will be number one, diagnostic summary for each case. We'll talk about a pre-plan or a case setup. We'll then look at the treatment sequence and then we'll look at the outcome and analysis for each case. Now, the cases I'm going to show, I showed excerpts at an international forum um, just to show torque. We're going to take a deep dive into these cases and look at them from start to finish. First case, 13-year-old uh, female patient. Uh, Pre-treatment panoramic film was unremarkable. So this is how the case looked. At first glance, we're looking at a class two division two. You'll notice there's a very deep overbite on the order of 110%. And let's look at this a little closer, a little crowding as well. Sometimes just to back up a little bit, the photographs, it's hard to take, you know, completely tangent from the buccal surface as the posterior teeth. So sometimes they don't look as class two from the photos. When we look at the scans, the pretreatment scans, it was virtually a full cusp class two, division two. You'll notice too, there was a thin biotype in the lower anterior. And that presents problems because we've got a level of curve of speed. We've got crowding down there. We've got to, we've got to uh, correct. So we had to be careful in this case. So always informed consent. Now this case, because of the thin biotype and the lack of attached tissue, the patient and parent understood that this patient would need some grafting in the future. And if there was any uh, recession occurring during the course of treatment, we would have the grafting, a consult for the grafting at that point. So we'll see how it unfolds. Here's the pretreatment lateral Ceph. You can see it's a very low angle case, very retroclined incisors, sort of a brachyfacial pattern. So our diagnostic summary includes a class two division two malocclusion, 110% deep overbite, crowding, and a thin periodontal biotype on the lower incisors. So the question is this, do you think it's possible to treat a deep overbite like this in one appointment? And we'll see if that's possible. Question number two, is it possible to treat this, this significant class two 
deep bite case in 11 months or less with PSL. And I remember PSL is notorious for lack of con torque control and you've got retroclined teeth, you've got class two interarch mechanics. It's a tall order for PSL. We'll see. So the pre-plan case setup, we're gonna look at what torques I selected for this case, what my bracket positions were, how do we disarticulate the case? What was my initial wire selection? Uh, Inter-arch considerations, like what elastics did we use? And then intra-arch considerations, did we use springs, did we bypass blocked out teeth and, and so forth? So looking at torque selection, again, because I had very retroclined upper and uh, central incisors, obviously we're gonna pick high torque brackets on those red, uh, denotes high torque. I'm going to be pulling significant class two mechanics because it's almost a full cusp class two. So I'm going to put high torque across the upper incisors because the mechanics will tend to detorque them. Now I felt that the canines were kind of upright, and I, or, or I'm sorry, were tipped in and I wanted to upright them. So I selected high torque for the canines. Now, as we mentioned before, in a class two mechanics case, not only do we put high torque brackets on the upper incisors, because they tend to be detorqued by the mechanics. We also select low torque brackets in the lower incisors because they tend to be flared by the class two mechanics. But in this case with the uh, thin biotype that we saw, I did not wanna bring those roots forward at all in those lower incisors. So I placed standard torques down in the lower incisors. I felt like I could afford maybe a little tipping of the incisors forward, but I did not wanna bring those roots forward. So we'll see how it unfolded. So as we put the upper brackets on, let's look at position. Now, you know, in deep bite cases, a lot of times, the clinician may opt to put the brackets on the upper incisors a little bit more incisally, and that's gonna help intrude those teeth. But the problem is in this case, she has sort of a lack of incisor display. Now, some of that is because of the morphology of the lower lip, but in any event, I think you'd agree that we don't wanna intrude those upper incisors at all because we're gonna make the display even less. So therefore, I put the brackets in the middle of the crowns of the teeth on FA point. Lower arch was a different story. So we've got this deep curve of speed. I've got to correct this deep overbite. I want to intrude those lower incisors and level that curve of speed. So I opted to put the lower incisor brackets more incisally to help us accomplish that. It bears mentioning that Dr. Damon cautions everybody when you use his protocols to don't deviate too much from FA point when you're putting the brackets on. You know, if you go on a tooth that has a convexity to its facial surface, if you go more incisally, you're gonna to tend to increase the torque on the bracket. If you go more gingerly, you're gonna to tend to um, decrease the torque. So you gotta keep that in mind. There's a sweet spot, a, you know, a millimeter either side of FA point, either a little bit more gingerly or a little bit more incisally it is safe. When you start deviating a lot, lot more from FA point, you have to consider how you might be changing the torque on your brackets. Uh, the lower incisors are not as critical as the uppers because the, the convexity of the facial surface is not as great. But keep that in mind when you're changing your bracket positions from FA point. All right, so the initial bonding, you can see that we put very large bite turbos uh, on the lingual of the upper incisors. They're called mini molds and they make a seven millimeter wide long one. Um, so a lot of times in deep bite cases, we'll use these. But this was 110% deep overbite. So you can imagine it was very, it was not so comfortable for this patient to be disarticulated and open that much. 
So I told the patient and the parents that I'd, I'd like to do this if we can, because it's it, it'll shave some time off your treatment. It'll help us get your deep overbite corrected quicker. Uh, but if you cannot tolerate it, you call me and I'll take these off. Uh, be very careful when you're chewing, especially initially your first few meals, you have a softer diet. We want you to chew as completely as you can because we don't want you choking on things. So she was a trooper. She really um, tolerated this and, and kind of toughed it out. And, and we started these um, short class two elastics from the upper fours to the lower sixes. And they were three sixteenths, two ounce from the very beginning for our, our initial wires. And you can see what that's gonna do mechanically. It's gonna erupt those posterior teeth with the uh, our disarticulation and help us correct this deep overbite. All right, let's look at the treatment sequence for this case. So here's the initial appointment. We had a 14 round copper nitie tie in the upper, an 013 copper nitie tie in the lower with those short light class two elastics. This is appointment number one. So it's 10 weeks. Now, even though the protocol was to see the patients every four weeks, when we started this case, the pandemic started and practice was shut down for a little over two months. So we couldn't get this patient back for 10 weeks. And at the first appointment, we put a 14 by 25 in the upper because there was no deflection left in the initial wire. So I progressed right to the 14 by 25. The lower was still some rotations there. So I opted to put an 0 and 8 in the lower and we continued the elastics. But what I want to show you and what I want to emphasize is this. In one appointment, we took that 110% deep overbite and essentially corrected it in one appointment. So that was, um, you know, I thought quite an accomplishment and also quite an accomplishment for that patient to tolerate those turbos. So not every patient can do that, not tolerate those. So you'll have to find an alternative spot for the turbos, or maybe in some cases, even start the upper arch first before you start the lower. So here's the initial bonding on the top. These are um, Itero scans and appointment number one in the lower. You can see in that one appointment, that 10 week interval, that Kerber's V was leveled, uh, was leveled out. We erupted posterior teeth and we pretty much virtually corrected the deep overbite. Appointment number two, we went to an 18 by 0275 in the upper. Because, and again, these are four week intervals. So again, my assessment was that when the patient came back, there was no more deflection left in the upper wire. So I put the, uh, the I progressed to the 18 by 0275 copper nitie tie. The lower, remember it was a little more crowded, so it's a little behind the upper. So we got to our 14 by 0275 in the lower. And now I'm in thicker wires, so I've increased the elastic force uh, to from 3 sixteenths, uh, two ounce to 3 sixteenths, three ounce. So at the conclusion of the 14 by 0275 wire, um, this is how it looks. So on the left is the initial bonding. On the right is the conclusion of the 14 by 0275. The yellow arrows show you the rotations that were existent at the initial bonding. And you can see at the end of the 14 by 0275, the uh, rotations were completely corrected. All right, appointment number three at 18 weeks. Um, we did go to the 18 by 0275 in the upper. I started a, a, actually in both arches, upper and lower, we started a class two, uh, five sixteenths, four and a half ounce elastic on the right side. You'll notice the midlines are off. The patient's still more class two on the right. So unilateral right side class two elastic. And there were some sliver spaces that opened. So we did some ligating and chaining. 
All right, so let's look. We concluded the 14 by 0275 wire in the lower arch at this point. Let's look at that. So on the left is the initial bonding. The arrows show the rotations that were present. And the right is that the conclusion of the 14 by 0275. You can see for the most part, those rotations were worked out. Now there is a little bit of rotation down around the lower incisors. You're gonna see that I repositioned a bracket. If there is a rotation present, then you know it's a bracket position issue and you've got to reposition the bracket. So appointment number four, we're at week 22. We're just continuing that right side class two elastic and we're chaining again for some sliver spaces. So let's look at the torque control that we achieved at this point after the 18 by 0275 wire had concluded. So here's the patient at that point, 18 by 0275 had been in for uh, four weeks in this case. Let's look at the torque control. So the left is the initial bonding. Again, right is at the conclusion of the 18 by 0275. And let your eye go back and forth between the incisors at the initial bonding. And after the 18 by 0275, you can see significant torque was achieved at that point. Not only was it achieved, but don't forget we were pulling class two elastics the entire time. So not only do we have to detorque those or torque those incisors that were very retrocline, we had to have a holding couple that would hold against the detorquing of the class two mechanics. We'll zoom in on that so you can see initial bonding left at the conclusion of the 18 by 0275 on the right. And you kind of get this bird's eye view you get of the bracket and wire relationship as well as the tooth position. So at this point, we did a progress x-ray, a panoramic film, and I assessed some teeth. If you'll notice the lower right, uh, by first by cuspid, the root was too mesial, and there was a rotation on the lower incisor. So I repositioned two brackets at this point. And in fact, it was the lower left central and the lower right second, first by cuspid. The second molars, <clears throat> excuse me, had erupted enough at this point in the lower that I was able to bond those. And I dropped back to lighter wires because I repositioned brackets. So I went back to my 18 round copper nine ties. Because I was in very light wires, I, dis I discontinued the elastics at this point. At, uh, four weeks later, at week 30, I'm back into an 18 by 0275 in the upper and 18 by 0275 copper nine tie in the lower. The upper was a stainless steel wire, I should say. And I resumed that right side class two zebra. Appointment number seven, we just continued that class two elastic on the right side. You can see that still slightly class two. And appointment number eight, 38 weeks, it was a finished case. You can see the class two on the right has now been corrected and we scheduled a D-band for this patient. So let's look now at treatment outcome and analysis for this case. 43 weeks, uh, I think a fairly nice result. Remember, it started out as a very deep 110% division two, full cusp. So it was nine working appointments in 11 months. And the asterisk is there because don't forget, there was in this case a two and a half month interruption because of the pandemic shutdown. So it, you know, maybe we could have reduced an appointment or so uh, had we not had the shutdown. So remember my question in the beginning was, you know, could we treat this open deep overbite in one appointment? Well, we pretty much did. Can we treat this full cusp class two, diff two, brachyfacial case in less than 12 months? And yes, we did. 
So here we are, pre-treatment on the top, post-treatment on the bottom. Again, pre-treatment left, post-treatment right. Did we increase her incisor display? No, we didn't. But did we decrease it? That's the important point. No, we did not decrease it. It's about the same. So that 110% deep overbite uh, was corrected without affecting the vertical position of those uh, upper central incisors or upper incisors, I should say. Here's the post-treatment Ceph measurements. Remember, we had very retroclined upper incisors and we had to pull those heavy class two mechanics and we have a final torque of almost 105 on those. Lower incisor mandibular plane is 105. Some people may get nervous about that. Um, Dwight, Dr. Damon always said, Tom, you know, don't get too hung up on numbers. You know, look at the tissue, look at the teeth. Uh, if they don't look proclined, if the tissue's healthy, then don't get too hung up on that. So let's look. Pre-treatment left, post-treatment right. Again, this was achieved in 11 months. Here are the superimpositions. Look at the torque in the upper incisor. And let's look at the lower incisors. They did tip forward a little bit, but don't forget we had that very deep curve of speed. We had the crowding down there. We had the class two mechanics. And my thought was in the beginning, because of the thin biotype, I didn't want low torque brackets because I didn't want those roots coming forward at all. So I was willing to accept a little tipping and not forward movement of the uh, in roots. So let's see, let's take a look and see how it turned out. Here's the upper. And I've put side by side the pre-treatment and post-treatment uh, scans. So you can see how that relates to the tracing. Here's the lower. Yes, they, they came forward a bit. Size corrected uh, scans, pre-treatment of the upper occlusal um, on the left and post-treatment on the right, you can see that we did you know, increase the transverse dimension in that arch. Size corrected scans in the lower, pre-treatment left, post-treatment right. Now you might say, well, there's not as much, much expansion in the lower as there was in the upper. And that's true. You might think like, well, isn't that going to cause a, a arch coordination issue, like a buckle crossbite in the upper? But if you'll notice pre-treatment, she had lack of buckle overjet there, you know, tending toward a crossbite on that second bicuspid. So that reconciles the fact that we got more widening in the upper than we did in the lower to finish that case to a uh, good uh, buckle over jet. So let's look at this uh, measurement here. We're going to measure from the distal of the first molars to the incisal edges of the incisors. And we have size corrected scans, pre-treatment left and post-treatment right. And you can see that the lower incisors did come forward a bit, but I wouldn't say they came forward a lot. And that's consistent with the tracing. How did that look from the buckle perspective? I've got pre-treatment left as a scan, post-treatment on the right. And the tissue doesn't look any worse for the wear with that movement. So I go back to that lower incisor at 105 to mandibular plane. People get a little nervous about that. But again, look at the teeth. Do they look proclined? No. 
Did you damage? Did you do a detriment to the tissue? No. All right, let's look at another case. <clears throat> this is a almost 15 year old uh, young male. And again, part of uh, this case was treated in, in, in that clinical trial. And this is how he presented class two, a little bit of a deep overbite, very mild crowding. And you might be tempted to say, well, this doesn't look like a particularly difficult case. You know, why are you going to show this one? It seems like it could be very easily treated. But let's look at it a little bit further. So it is class two, and there is a little compensation in the lower incisor. So the lower incisor is almost out to 99 to mandibular plane. There's really no overjet. Here's the um, pretreatment panoramic film. Again, unremarkable. So again, is this an easy case for PSL or, or, or not? Well, when we look at the diagnostic summary, I've got a half cusp plus class two. I've got no overjet. I've got slightly small upper laterals. I've got a lower incisor that's already a little compensated at 99. I've got a curve of speed in the lower. And I've got to pull class two mechanics to collect, correct this um, you know, half cusp plus class two. So I think on the contrary, it's quite a difficult case for PSL. So without, I think you'd agree, without precise torque control, it'd be very challenging to finish this case to class one. And when I think of all the things we used to have to do, we had lack of control, we'd have to bend torque into the upper uh, incisors, you know, use those 20 degree nitide torque wires, which would put a lot of, un, you know, an unmeasurable amount of force on those teeth or an indeterminate amount of force, I should say. Um, sometimes we would strip the lower incisors, IPR, to upright them somewhat, to, to steal some overjet that way. And sometimes with those upper laterals that were slightly small, we'd advocate that the, the dentist build them up, we'd leave space there. So those were a lot of things we had to do to kind of compensate for lack of torque control previously on the, these types of cases. All right, let's look at the pre-planned case setup here. So again, we're pulling class two mechanics. So I've got to have high torque brackets on the upper incisors to, to have a torque couple to hold against the detorquing effects of the class two mechanics. And on the lower, I've got to have a low torque to uh, mitigate the proclination forces of the uh, class two elastics. I also felt that the lower canines were tipped in a bit and the roots were kind of prominent and buckly. So I selected high torques on those to upright them somewhat. The patient has a very ideal display of upper incisors. So again, I put the upper incisor brackets right on uh, FA point. There was no need to intrude or extrude them. So we had ideal bracket position. Lower, there was a bit of a little bit of a curve of speed. I went slightly incisely with my lower bracket position, not as much as the previous case. Disarticulation here was on the upper molars, the first molars. So again, the caution here is that if you've got a deep bite case and you're putting turbos on the upper molars, you're gonna to tend to intrude the molars, which works against you, it deepens the bite. So the word of caution is um, don't leave them on any longer than you have to. Um, the further back in the mouth you go with these, the better, because the, you don't have to build them up as high. So second molars are preferable. I think in this case, the lower second molars were not fully erupted, so they didn't articulate with the upper second molars. So we chose first molars here. 
All right, let's look at the treatment sequence for this case. So let's skip through this and we'll go slide by slide every wire and my thought process through the entire thing. So at the initial bonding, we put in 14 round copper nine ties. Remember our protocol was to see the patient every four weeks. We engaged every tooth. Four weeks later, we I felt that there was no deflection left in those wires. So originally PSL protocols call for leaving the initial wires in for eight to 10 weeks, no matter what. Um, but don't forget the initial protocols were developed with the old SE wires before copper nine tie. And so that's changed a bit. So the new uh, mantra is no deflection, no correction. Um, if the wire is not deflected, there's no need to leave it any longer because it's, it's lost its, its activation or its energy, I should say. And so with no activation left in the wire, no, no, no deflections, then we progress to the next wire. The word of caution here is if it's a very crowded case, this is not a race. We're not trying to see how fast we can change the wires, but in very crowded cases, you have to go slower because you will end up flaring teeth forward. So, all right, appointment number two was eight weeks. I went to, again, there was no deflection left in the 14 by 0275s. So I went to the 18 by 0275s. And now I started, I'm in thicker wires. I started my class two elastics, five sixteenths, four and a half ounce. I did not do early elastics in this case. Remember, it wasn't as deep as the other case. It didn't have the curve of speed that the other case had. Uh, there were some sliver spaces that had opened up. So we did some chain elastic in the lower. So now let's look at the rotational control that we achieved after the 14 by 0275 wire was, was concluded. So this is the upper arch initial bonding left at the conclusion of the 14 by 0275 on the right. The arrows show on the left where the initial rotations were. And at the conclusion of the 14 by 0275, they were corrected. Appointment number three is now, let's see, 12 weeks out. And I did a progress x-ray and I elected not to do any repositioning. I felt my bracket position was, position was pretty good at this point. So I went from, from 18 by 0275 copper and high tie wire to 18 by 0275 stainless steel wire. And I continued the class two elastics. So let's look at how the torque control that we achieved after the 18 by 0275 wires had finished. So here's the patient he presents at the conclusion of the 18 by 0275s. And we're gonna take a closer look and compare torque control. So the initial this is a scan of the initial bonding on the left and a scan at the conclusion of the 18 by 0275 copper nine tie on the right. And you can see the torque that we achieved. We remember we had no overjet, it helped us achieve some overjet so we can correct our class two as well. And it held the torque couple to mitigate against the detorquing effect of the class two elastics that we were pulling. So four appointments, uh, appointment number four, 18 weeks. I placed a little reverse curve in the lower arch wire and some accentuated curve of speed in the upper arch wire and the stainless steel wires. And I increased the elastic force to a 516, six ounce elastic. Again, there were some spaces in the lower that we were still chaining at that point. Appointment number five is 26 weeks. Again, I increased the reverse curve in the lower wire and I added some accentuated curve in the upper. We're working that deep overbite, chaining lower spaces. Appointment number six, 
is 30 weeks. We continued the elastics and we ligated and, and chained some more. Appointment number seven at 35 weeks, we continued the elastics. I felt the case was finished and we scheduled a D-band. So let's look at the treatment outcome and analysis for this case. So here's the patient D-banded at 44 weeks. Nice result. Remember we had lack of overjet. We had procline, you know, little compensation in the lower incisors. We had a little bit of a curve of speed. We had small laterals. We had to pull class two elastics. So the patient finished in eight working appointments, uh, 11 months treatment duration. And again, there was a little interruption because of COVID there. So pre-treatment on the upper, post-treatment on the lower. I think you'd agree that's good torque control throughout the entire process. Pre-treatment Ceph on the left, post-treatment on the right. Size corrected photographs of the upper occlusal, pre-treatment left, post-treatment right. You can see that we did get a little widening in the upper arch in the first bicuspid area. It wasn't a particularly narrow arch to begin with. Lower arch, pre-treatment left, size corrected photographs, post-treatment on the right. Not a whole bunch of change in the transverse, but again, it was a fairly broad arch to begin with. A little sidebar here, a clinical pearl on these types of cases with small maxillary lateral incisors. So remember, I've got no overjet. To make matters worse, I've got less tooth mass in the upper arch because I've got small laterals. There's a way to make those small laterals look a little bit bigger. So we noticed pre-treatment, the roots were somewhat mesially inclined. I didn't have the right distal root tip initially. So I always have a panoramic film up when I'm placing brackets so I can see things like root positions or axial inclinations, because sometimes clinically you don't really appreciate that. So if you bond the bracket properly and achieve the proper distal root tip right from Andrews 101, you, that lateral incisor, because of its shape, is going to occupy more space in the arch. So that's what I mean by making them look a little bit bigger or occupy more space. So it certainly went to help me in this case where I had lack of overjet and lack of tooth, tooth mass in the upper arch. And there you have it. So I hope that these two cases, taking a deep dive into those cases, show that the PSL appliance that we, system that we have available now gives us the best of both worlds. We have the passivity, which is our friend, which helps us deliver the low force, which achieves that novel response to the dental alveolus. Um, but we have now three-dimensional control to go with it. So all those compensating behaviors that we had to do before to make up for lack of control, whether it was repositioning brackets or bonding into rotations or bending steps or torques into the wire, most of those, you know, virtually all those compensating behaviors now are no longer necessary. So I think we have a very efficient system. Again, it's not a race to see how fast we can go, but we found that in, across the 10 doctors in the study, a majority of the cases approaching 60% throughout the entire spectrum of malocclusions finished in 12 months or less. So I think we have that capability as well with this system. So that concludes the uh, lecture for today.
And uh, I think there's a Q&A or question and answer period we're gonna have next. Thank you so much, Tom. Yes, we do have a couple questions for you. And our first one being, how many cases have you treated with the system? It's a good question. So Lauren, I've, I've practiced, I've been a Damon practitioner for 17 years and I've used all the, uh, throughout the evolution of the system, all the iterations of the system. Uh, as far as Ultima goes, I was invited to participate in the study at the end of 2019. We had 50 cases or a maximum of 50 cases. Um, as you may know, it was uh, generally released uh, early this year. So I have uh, over 100 cases strapped up and approximately 35 or 36 finished. So although I've been practicing 17 years with PSL, it's, this is a, a, you know, it's a new thing and, and so far so good. As we saw in the pictures, and yes, I know recently rolled out. So the experience that you're getting here to share with all of us is wonderful. Uh, another question for you, please. Can you just review with us specifically what makes the system the first true expression orthodontic system? Well, again, it's the uh, the innovations in both the wire, the, the cross-sectional geometry of the wire, having that rounded 0275 dimension and paired with a rec or the parallelogram slot of the bracket too. So again, we get our engagement for rotational control in the depth dimension, the 0275, and we get our, our torque control and the rectangular dimension of the wire at the edges. Um, so you have contact as we progress out of our round wires into our rectangular wires or our half round, half rectangular wires. You have this contact that restricts both uh, rotational freedom of, of uh, you know, mesial distal rotational freedom, and it, re it, it engages and gives us torque uh, like no other system could do, certainly no other passive self-ligating system. Another question for you here, a little longer this time. Passivity and full engagement seem to be contrary or mutually exclusive concepts. Since this is such an important point, could you please explain again why this technology makes these seemingly opposite features simultaneously achievable? It's a good question. And so that was the first thought in my mind when I saw the design for the system, I thought, uh-oh, it's not passive anymore. You know, we're engaging, we're, we're trying to fill the slot. Isn't that counter to the whole passive PSL, you know, uh, you know rationale? Um, but again, when you look at how much is, uh, is being engaged, for instance, let's look at the, the, the 0275 dimension on the round wire part. It engages the door of the bracket and the base of the slot of, of the slot. It's a pinpoint um, uh, contact along the height of rate contour of the radius of that round wire. So it's an extremely small surface area. So um, I think, you know, Pass, it's still, it's still, passivity is maintained because of that extremely small surface area uh, contact. But the other thing, um, don't forget the, the initial wires, the round wires are all the same. So there's certainly no, you know, uh, engagement there. Um, so that's the rotational aspect. The torque control aspect, again, we're engaging now the uh, flat surfaces, the wire on the edges, on the, gingival and incisal uh, walls of the slot. Again, that's also a pinpoint uh, contact along that edge. So again, it's a very small surface area in contact. 
So I think that's the beauty of the system where you can have control, but yet still have passivity. And again, the proof is in the pudding when you, it sounds good on paper, but when you look at the cases, you can actually see that you've achieved that. You've got your arch development and, and all the, the things that we like to see with PSL, but with a lot more control. Thank you. And one last question for you here, please. Transferring theory to clinical relevance is often a big step. What tangible efficiencies can orthodontists expect using this system in their practices? And that is always the big question, especially when you're an orthodontic manufacturer and you've got to invest millions of dollars into a prototype. Um, it sounds good on paper, but it, no one knows until they actually start putting it in, in live you know, human mouths, is it going to perform as advertised, so to speak. And I think the clinical trial with the 10 practices and the, and the maximum of 50 cases each is pretty compelling uh, evidence that um, you know, this, it does work sort of as advertised, the control, the expression of the, of the, the, the torque and, and rotation are there. And when you don't have to do the compensating behaviors like repositioning brackets and bonding into the rotations and bending the wires, when you eliminate all those compensating behaviors, you can get from point A to point B in your cases more efficiently. And like I said, the studies showed that a majority of the cases were finished in less than 12 months across the spectrum of malocclusions. So I think there's an efficiency that the, the proof is in the pudding. It seems to be borne out clinically. And that wraps up our question and answer. Thank you to Ormco and to you, Dr. Barron, for bringing this wonderful session to NISA. Well, thank you, Laura. It's been my pleasure. Like I said, I, I'm, I've got a lot of friends at NISO. That's, that's where I grew up, up that way. And I just, I'm very um, enthusiastic uh, about what this means for, for our profession, uh, this, these new innovations. So thank you very much. Of course, and I'll share with our NISO members to please visit Ormco's Marketplace listing to ask any questions that you might have of them. Uh, and thank you, all of our NISO members and Dr. Barron for joining us here tonight.